So what's your story? You're not ex-Mormon either. You're a never-Mormon? I am a never-Mormon who watched some TV shows. I don't know if you remember the show (laughs) Big Love. I remember Big Love. (laughs) And some other shows. Because where I grew up, there wasn't a lot of Mormonism, but it's a big part of U.S. history and U.S. culture. And so as I got older, I started reading more. And I stumbled upon some podcasts that gave a lot of history and insight into the Mormon traditions. And a friend of mine and I actually went to Nauvoo. Oh, really? And saw the pageant and did the touring. And that was pretty interesting. (laughs) I bet it was. What was the wackiest thing about Nauvoo? That Joseph Smith loved the bagpipes. That was his favorite musical instrument. Never heard that before. (laughs) That is what we learned in Nauvoo. And we danced to bagpipes because there were bagpipes everywhere. And I'm like, what's with the bagpipes? And that's what I was taught. So Joseph Smith loved the world's most hated instrument. And loved to dance to it. With his bum leg, he still managed to dance to it. We learned some Joseph Smith jigs. Joseph Smith jigs. <laughs> they had little activity when you'd learn the dance. Like, they were for kids, but, like, I was like a kid. That's all right. Have some fun. And they showed you, like, how they made the wheels that went on the wagons and how they prepared for this great migration. So that was really interesting. Oh, the great migration. I recommend people, <laughs> if they know what they're getting into, it's a great tourist and it's free. They want to show you, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not for me. Anything Mormon is, I paid with blood, sweat, and tears. There's nothing free for me. It's like, nope. Uh, don't get me wrong. Mormonism is poison. <laughs> To me, it's a history thing. I don't have a connection to it. I mean, if you're interested in history, then any story can be interesting. Absolutely. And that brings us to saints, the topic of today, because they've written this supposed history book with all the stringency of toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) And I understand that you and Ed had a bit of a listen to it together. Thank you for your (laughs) sacrifice. It's okay. I've seen some pretty bad movies too, so. Ed, I want to introduce you too, but I don't necessarily want to trigger you too much because obviously Mormonism is poison and for you it has been particularly poisonous. Tell us briefly why you're an Evermo that has a connection to Mormonism. I met my second wife and she was out of Mormonism. She was born and raised, born in Covenant, Mm -hmm. large family Mm -hmm. in Utah, but we met in Seattle. She was out for 15 years. Sounds like a pretty solid bet, doesn't it? 15 years out? Right, you would think, right? Like, I don't think you were dumb to think that that was over that's the thing that really puzzles me humans are puzzling aren't they they just spin you around and around they'll screw your head off the way i explain it is they're so wrapped up that they do not understand what's going on themselves maybe i'm being kind this way it's good to be a little bit kind ed because as humans we do have difficulty understanding ourselves and the way mormonism has everything so wrapped up in it so convoluted so confused that those individuals that were born into it and indoctrinated they don't know what's up what's down about a year or two after we got married, she went back in and me being polite about other cultures, about traditions, I was like, okay, I was respectful. And these people on the surface appear to be nice people, good people. Oh, they're so polite. <laughs> yeah, until until they're no longer polite. Until they're no longer polite, yeah. It's still happening and she is very not polite. I look for something to console you and all I've got is you can't predict 
the future. And you can't predict how your kids will turn out. People get out of Mormonism all the time at alarming rates. And I'm ready for it. What is it, Ed? God works in mysterious ways. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, let's get into the third episode of Saints, the shitty history book. Patience is like, I don't know what to do with that phrase because... I'm trying to roast religion and Ed is like going all religious. I have a little bit of the mystic chip too, Ed. I know that there may not be any mystic thing going on in the world. There may be nothing. This may be it. But a part of me thinks there might be something after death. And it's probably just wishful thinking. But we don't know for sure. We don't know anything, really. That's why you got to have compassion. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what I heard in this episode that we're about to discuss. That's the difference between the bulk of the human myths tradition and Mormonism. Because in Mormonism, they're so adamant at saying, we know for certain. Oh, yeah. Where the Christian tradition says, we actually don't really know. See, that's the part. God acts in mysterious ways. It's like, yeah, we place our trust in God. God knows, but we don't know. I was kind of thinking that maybe there would be a progression where they got more wishy-washy, I guess. Not so set in their ways, but maybe that's not going to happen for them. Who knows? What I heard when they brought up conservatism and the comparison with Methodism, I felt like they were talking to their modern audience. So it was like, well, we're going to flashback, but now we're going to tell you what you want to hear as modern Mormons. So yes, the Mormon church is conservative because the members of the church tend to be conservative. So they are using a historical event to re confirm their current status and to reassure their membership. Which is funny because they're all about being able to get this direct revelation from God. And when they were talking about that, they were saying that that's a bad thing that the Methodist church was ossifying where they weren't believing in those divine revelations anymore. It's almost like they've got two conflicting arguments happening at once, which is totally what you'd expect from religion. I mean, come on now. (laughs) And life is full of contradictions. I do get that. But, you know, you don't have to try and put them into your life. (laughs) Anyway. Any tradition has contradictions. But it's really everything is kind of based on what happened before. And we were part of this Never Mormon discussion group. And we'd be asking questions about why and like kind of the theology and how does this reconcile with that? And there aren't answers. The more we would talk, the more head spinning it would be if you really tried to figure it out. I wish I had like a video filter that I could put on for when something really bizarre happens on this podcast and it actually makes my head spin all the way around 360 degrees because seriously, some of the shit in here. Were you raised in Catholicism? Yes. How did you guess? (laughs) Oh, said something about Catholicism and that was it. Okay. So are you still in that or you're out of that or are you a cafeteria Catholic? There's a lot of great things that are part of that and a lot of not great things that are part of that. Part of the tradition and the mythology I appreciate, but the hierarchy and I think the corruption really bother me. So I just kind of take what I like and leave what I don't and do my own thing. Good for you. And that's the pure ethos of cafeteria Catholicism, isn't it? You go to church on Christmas and Easter and you enjoy the social thing. You have people around to dinner and, oh, yeah, we believe in God, but, oh, you can fuck before you get married. That's okay. Look, we're all just humans. We're trying to do life. It's wishy-washy. It's good. My favorite Christians are cafeteria Catholics. When I was studying abroad in Scandinavia 20-some years ago, but in Sweden, I 
mentioned it to somebody, I was Catholic. And he says, so you believe this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, um, being Catholic has nothing to do with what I believe. (laughs) (laughs) And for some people, Mormonism is like that too. And for some people, it's more serious, like Ed's ex-wife. And that's a real shame. See, I don't know what's in her head. But being out for 15 years and having a lot of problem with Prop 8, because she lived in San Francisco in California when Prop 8 was happening. And she was going to gay discotheques. Actually, she does appear as a nuanced Mormon. See, in Mormonism, I think they don't use the word cafeteria Mormon. They use nuanced. Oh, nuanced Mormon. Correct. I've never heard of that before. That's cool. Well, hey, that's why I'm here. She's a nuanced Mormon. I am bringing the Mormon terminology, right? Ed's bringing the nuance (laughs) to the Mormonism. There's the Jack Mormons. There's the true believing Mormons. There's the nuanced. Those are the ones that are smoking and drinking and still going to church every Sunday. Ah, they're the cool ones. All the girls want to fuck those boys. If we're going to get into that, you know, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, I'm here all day, Ed. I guess we better think of Div Chena a bit. She probably wants to get some beauty sleep before she has to do tomorrow. <laughs> Let me play the first clip. Sorry, something happened to my monitor yesterday and I'm having to see around dead spots on my screen. But there's a replacement coming. <laughs> if you lived in Salt Lake area, there's the Mormon Deseret Industries stores where you can buy a monitor for 20 bucks. They sell technology at Deseret Industries? I've got a CD changer, two tape decks, a bunch of monitors. I thought they only sell books of Mormon and stuff. I bought my laptop is from former Mormon missionaries in South Korea. Uh, they never looked up porn on that ad ever. Surprisingly, there was no porn, but there were tax returns and pictures of them doing the mission in South Korea. Oh, I'm sure. So if you were here, I would set you up with a monitor for 20 bucks. (laughs) I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I'm joined with, joined by, rather, Steve Harper. Ben. And Sarah Eyring. Hi. Thank you both for being with us today. So, the three hosts, we've had this running discussion about Sarah Eyring. We worked out who Sarah Eyring was last time. Oh, Eyring. Yeah. We think that she's either a daughter or a granddaughter of... Second counselor. Right. Second counselor to the first presidency. Is that how you say it? Well, yeah. To the president. The three of them are the first presidency. Or Bernie, as I like to call him, because they wheel him out weekend at Bernie style. No? <laughs> I don't know. Was that a Western culture reference that I'm not familiar with? I guess so. Do you get a Div Chena? Have you ever seen Weekend at Bernie's? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> lost on me. Totally lost on I put it in the movie list. Have you guys got a movie? You should put that in the movie list, guys. Come on. Oh, our list is... You'll like Weekend at Bernie's. Is that Australian? Oh, no. Basically, they have this dead guy, but they try to make people think he's still alive. So they're like holding his arms up and moving him around like a fucking puppet. Oh, on the beach, like, yeah. Drinking, having fun. Oh, that's right. Just enjoying life dead. Like, he introduces the historians, but then there's Sarah Eyring. Oh, hi. And why are you here? Oh, we don't say. Oh, it makes total sense. They're so interrelated <laughs> because it's very much about business. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that there's money involved in that podcast. It's on the Mormon channel, which is apparently now the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints channel because the Mormon channel is their dead name. 
I'm 95% certain there's money involved. Just like the Midnight Mormons, there's money involved. Fair Mormons, Midnight Mormons, Kwaku. What are these terms you're talking about, Ed? Teach me your ways. What's a Midnight Mormon? They're the apologetics. Oh, so a Midnight Mormon is someone who has reasons for why they're still Mormon. It's the name of the group. Fair Mormon, Midnight Mormon, Kwaku, and so there's like three of them. They're trying to be all hip and with it to sell hogwash to the Mormon youth that everything's dandy. There are no lies, no problems in the history. Uh. Everything's fine. <laughs> in my opinion, the way they talk to people and the way they talk about people is just really terrible. They are like the really screaming, put down everyone else pro Mormon church pundits. When you watch their YouTube stuff, they're really like in your face. I don't know if that's good you know, English. I think that's good English, Ed. Your English is impeccable, really, to be honest. Joseph Smith going into the woods near his parents' home in western New York and praying aloud for the first time in his life wow. and receiving as an answer what I call the best documented vision of God in history. So those are nine accounts total? Yeah, and different people count them different ways. Some people will say there are 10 or... There's nothing to be scared of here. They do have different details in them, just exactly like the four Gospels in the New Testament do. This isn't something to worry about. This is something to rejoice in. This is the best documented vision of God anywhere in the historical record. That is good news. What a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know that the first vision accounts, he did not talk about them until he was in Nauvoo. Right, yes. <laughs> They're trying to sell us the story that Joseph was 14 or 16. Right. There's these nine counts or whatever. Ten. Uh-huh. Depending on how you like it. Yeah. People, do not worry how many accounts there are. It's all good. That's right. There's no problem. The guy who's the historian on this episode is the same historian that was on the first episode. So they've wheeled him back. And he has this voice that he puts on when he's trying to convince you of something. And it sounds so obviously gaslighty. I call that bishop voice. Like, oh, just believe me. Like we're going to just drop our panties as soon as we hear his low voice or something. <laughs> I think that must have been his effect on people over the years in the Mormon church. He just talks and people just believe him because, oh, he's a historian for the church. But come on, it doesn't work like that in real life. Is his PhD real? I think he's got something from Brigham Young University, so ah, no, well, it's not yeah. real. <laughs> <laughs> but that voice, you mention it and I hear it more and more. Like when I'm listening to like these Mormon bishops, if they're doing something or some of these presentations, this voice, this feels so unnatural to me, but you explained it so well. It's wacky, isn't it? It's like this intensity, but soft. It makes you shudder, doesn't it? <laughs> me too. He said it's the most documented like spiritual encounter in history. And I just don't think that could be possible. Do you? Know how in the United States, every state is special. Right, yeah. Everybody says, we're the number one. <laughs> this is the United States exceptionalism. It's like, there's a saying, everything is bigger in Texas. Meaning, <laughs> you know, mm. you go fish in Texas and you caught a fish. Oh, this is the largest fish in all of the United States, right? And so Mormonism is that way. Everything in Mormonism, oh, our sacrament is the biggest, the brightest, the most important sacrament ever. So yeah, Joseph Smith went and prayed in the grove while he had the most impressive encounter with God in all of the human history. I just don't know what they're taking as the numbers of documents to make such a statement like that. Let's just assume he's saying about 10 documents, 
right? None of which were recorded at the time. Five of them are from one solitary source, the author himself and the rest are all secondhand and none of them are at the time so all of them are at least like 10 years later or something how does that compare then with the reports of jesus miracles which were all recorded later as well what's more impressive i mean there were certainly more copies of the reports of jesus miracles i would assume how can you even compare how can you say that one's more documented especially when the documentation is all hearsay anyway oh my god this guy annoys me well i mean we could all write our own documents and we could kind of get our <laughs> friends to write documents <laughs> now right. you know we three are the most documented whatever we want to be you know yeah we're the most documented podcasters in this particular zancaster room right now there you are taking the words out of my mouth <laughs> explaining the different versions away as being oh it's just like the gospels you know they have different content too and he's not wrong and he's saying that like oh it's no problem because the gospels but the gospels are a problem this is something that has been bothering theologians forever we should not accept any of it but see you're applying logical reasoning again <laughs> i'm so logical ed uh i never get emotional about things none of this is scientific it's like yeah where's the proof which documents that's when I asked, well, is his PhD real, right? And no, it's not. It's from Brigham Young. Or maybe they're just George Michael fans. you got to have faith. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take it up. There's no, these numbers have been counted differently. And this is why they're counted differently. It's just, hey, you know what? There's different numbers. There's contradictions in the gospel. It's all good. Listen to my quiet voice. Uh, Listen deeply. It's all okay. You're getting sleepy. Exactly. <laughs> they're trying to pacify the listeners because there's not just the grove. There's the first vision in Joseph's bedroom, and then there's the first vision in the grove, of which there are, oh, seven or nine or ten. Don't worry about the fact that there's, you know, all these multiple versions, which prophet Joseph Fielding Smith literally tore out of Joseph Smith's journals and writings and hid it in a safe. This is like 1924, I believe, or so. So we were hiding this from you. Not that information was even available to the file and rank members anyway, but he was like, you know what? This is going to be a problem. He tore it out because now it's literally glued back in. So he tore it out. He hid it in the safe until 1990-something. Where I live, I don't know if you've heard of the Strangites. Aren't they an offshoot of Mormonism? Supposedly, Joseph Smith gave the inheritance of the LDS church to this guy with last name Strang. And he came up to about 30 miles from where I live here and put his establishment in. But then Brigham Young took over and took everybody west. There's this Strangite settlement that like still has like a working church of like 100 people. The town of Voree. Voree, yes. And before that, they were on an island called the Beaver Island. An island, like in the ocean or on a lake? In Michigan. So I'm going to take a pilgrimage over there and take some pictures just to see what that... I want to see these pictures. Jesse James Strang was the prophet for them. And supposedly, a couple of days before Joseph Smith went to the Carthage jail, he wrote a letter. And that letter is actually not really that disputed, as far as I understand. And he actually sent Jesse James Strang to Minnesota, Wisconsin area, to establish branches of the church there. And then Jesse James Strang receives a letter. And by the time he receives the letter, Joseph Smith is dead. Aww. 
And in that letter, it's uh, Joseph Smith's handwriting. He says, Jesse James Strang, you are the prophet now. Tag your He's a former Baptist priest, so he is also skilled in the conman ways, just like Joseph Smith. So this is like second nature to him. So he picks up the reins and runs off with it, and they go off to the Beaver Island, and there are people living there. And so there is tension between the Strangites and the people on the Beaver Island. But from what I understand, the Strangites, they prevail. It looks like they were officially the continuation of Joseph Smith's church. So they are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints without the dash between the latter day. Oh, really? (laughs) So the day is a separate word with an uppercase D. But the Brighamites who went to the Salt Lake Valley, right? Yes, to spread their seed. This church is the Church of Jesus Christ of letter dash day, lowercase d in the word day, saints. And so the Strangites to this day, they have the trademark for the real name of the church. Do they own the copyright for the book or something? (laughs) Actually, it's public domain now anyway. Right, right, exactly. And Joseph Smith was trying to sell the copyright for the Book of Mormon to Canada. (laughs) Of course he was. That's the kind of conman he was, is that when he wrote the Book of Mormon, I mean... He tried to sell it. Yeah, I know. He wanted to make money out of it, but nobody wanted it. They thought it was a shit book. Mark Twain gave it a terrible review, and then nobody wanted to read it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Joseph Smith was running all kinds of cons, and he didn't even know where it was going to go. He wasn't planning to start a religion. It's just that, well, that's the direction things went in. And the unique thing about the Strangites, too, is they don't have a prophet. They never did the polygamy thing, according to them. Seems a lot more mainstream. Right. But I will give you a report after my excursion. Oh, I would love to see some photos. They did have Jesse James Strang as the prophet, so they must have changed somehow along the way. Ah, okay. To add to the story, now there's almost like 200 splinters in Mormonism. I don't doubt it. After Joseph Smith's death, in my understanding, there are three major splinters. So there's the Strangites that have the real name. Then there's the Brighamites that are Brigham Young, where Brigham Young actually had no inheritance, no lineage. And he wasn't even claiming that at first. No, he was just an asshole. Right? Oh, actually, there are four, because then there are the Rigdonites. Three, no four. You sound like an Old Testament prophet, Ed. <laughs> you know that part, don't you, Gina? You know that one? Yeah. Anyway. There's the Rigdonites. Ah, Sidney Rigdon. He was the second in command or whatever. He was in the line to be the prophet, to replace Joseph Smith. So they split off and then there was Joseph Smith's son. That's the community of Christ, right? Right. I think that's the community of Christ. So there are four major splinters immediately after Joseph Smith's death. So when Nelson comes out and says, oh, we're no longer going to call itself Mormon. Yeah, you all are Mormon and there's like almost 200 splinters of you guys. So don't sell me this you know it wasn't nelson that said it it was his reanimated corpse he was reanimated by the 12 (laughs) owned by disney that's right patients when you come out to see nauvoo it's interesting because community of christ owns a bunch of buildings and they have a visitor center and the lds church has a visitor center and a bunch of buildings and they're kind of like cooperate but you can tell there's all this underlying tension going on between the two really (laughs) 
And it's the same exact situation in Missouri. There's a Mormon splinter that's called the Lot Church. They're like tiny. They may have maybe five members or 10 members, <laughs> but what they have is the plot of land. It's just grass that Joseph Smith said, this is where the Solomon Temple is going to be built. This is where Zion is going to be rebuilt. This is where the new Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Is that supposed to be where Eden is as well? Adam Omundi or whatever it is, is somewhere in Missouri, it's not clear where it is. Adam on Monday? <laughs> That's not a Monday. This is a Monday. But the point is that in Missouri, uh, which town is it in Missouri? Justina, do you remember? It's the meth capital of the United States. Oh, that's great. It's littered with junkies and, and all that. They must be very alert. <laughs> They're high strong is what they are. But it's the same story. It's like the Lot Church, there's the Community of Christ Temple, there's the Mormon Church Temple, and they're all like right there at each other's throats, but not really. You know, once I'm finished reading and mocking the Book of Mormon, I think I should do a trip of the heartland, come over to America and just see all of these fucking sites and just enjoy roasting it. Uh, <laughs> well, how was that? I would love to go with you and take you around. Because I'm hearing about all of these places and I think I've got to say this for myself. I was going to say, patience, yeah, that would be great for all of us to, to take the trip. But if you're going to wait until you finish with the Book of Mormon, you might miss me. I might be gone. Yeah, get out of Utah as soon as you can, Ed. You know, don't stick around in there. That's the plan. But anyway, I can invite you on my little trip. I'd rather go to Machu Picchu than go to Mormon sites. It's got actual significance in human history than a piece of grass somewhere in meth capital of Missouri, you know. That's right. As opposed to the most documented spiritual encounter ever. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, I'm going to play the next bit. Joseph says, Oh, Lord, deliver me from the narrow prison of paper, pen, and ink and a crooked, broken, scattered, and imperfect language. So he knows he has to tell this spectacular story. And he does not have the tools to do it. <laughs> oh my god. I know. I know. Did I listen to themselves? <laughs> you know what I got to say about that? Uh, tell me, Ed. So they say, Joseph Smith did not have the tools. He was a tool. <laughs> exactly! <laughs> These guys, what are his PhDs? They are tools too. Literal tools of the Mormon church. Yes! Turling around. <laughs> there are tools everywhere. Yeah, he didn't expect to be rebuffed by the minister or by others. I just think that's crazy that anyone would believe that. Why wouldn't you expect to be rebuffed when the story that you're telling is saying all you other churches are wrong? Don't go and visit any of those other churches because they've all lost their way. Why would the minister of the Methodist Church want to hear that? Once again, they're not following the timeline. <laughs> Joseph Smith was running with the Methodist crowd and he really wanted to be with them. Of course, he wanted to belong. And they kicked him out because once again, remember, the first vision accounts, he made them up or whatever. He started talking about them in Nauvoo. Right, much later. Yeah, not when he was running with the Methodists. So they kicked him out, not because he said, oh, I met God. And they said, go away. 
No, they kicked him out because he was obnoxious. He was me, 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 me. Look at me. Look at me. Oh, me, 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 me. You know, he's nobody, right? He's just another member. He's just another asshole. That's why they kicked him out. I'm special. Special. <laughs> special, right. And so these guys, they're bullshitting us because they're not following the timeline. They're trying to sell us this whole Joseph Smith is a martyr. He ended up being killed for stuff that he told people. You know, he saw God and then people killed killed them. And so when they're talking about that he was rebuffed, once again, A, they're not following the timeline. He was not rebuffed by the Methodists because he saw God. No. Divchina, was it in Ukraine that you first encountered Mormons? Yes. I first encountered Mormons in Ukraine. I didn't encounter them growing up at all. But they're fun Mormons in the Ukraine, aren't they? I've heard stories from Ukrainian missionaries. They get up to mischief over there. That's what I've heard and kind of seen yeah. yes my friend would play basketball with the two missionaries he'd come back he's like i think i can break one you know one of them is really <laughs> strong into mormonism i think yes. i can bring the other one down uh, but he couldn't it. get them apart he's like all i need uh, to do is get them apart that's right they and check then I on can... each other that's why they do that yeah, yeah but they won't leave each other so he couldn't like corrupt oh man they're quite corruptible right here in oh, I'm Zion. Sure. Those oh, horny they, boys. I mean, well, they get a pass for everything, right? Because it's always a woman's fault. That's right. You know, it's got nothing to do with testosterone. That phrase, I knew it, and I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it. I look back to that example of Joseph, and I have to say, I, I know that God knows that I know this. And so I'm going to move forward with faith. Who's Faith? Yeah, he's going to move in with Faith. I think she was my girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. She must be very pretty. He's got some sort of circular logic there. I just know it, so I know it, and then I know it, and then... I know it, uh, and know you it. know it, and we all know it that we don't I know it. I know that you know that I know that she knows, or something like that. I'm just thinking, dude, are you hearing yourself? He is so confident he knows that God knows. I know, right? He knows what God knows, and God knows that he knows knows what he knows, you know? So now he and God are, like, of the same mind. I mean, I see a little trickiness in there, too. It's the principle of independent verification by revelation. Wow. Uh, just another way of saying all of us can and should follow Joseph's example, seek and receive our own revelation to confirm the truth. He just told me that I should be a con man just like Joseph Smith. Uh-huh. So that's it. After this podcast, I am establishing my own religion. Mm -hmm. I'm writing a book of what? Book of Mr. Ed. There'll be lots of winnowing and naming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. This is going to be the biggest, the most <laughs> profound thing in human history. The book of Mr. Ed. And I'm going to just get converts by the millions. And we'll be getting it straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> oh, horses, amphibians, everybody's going to be talking. Instead of it just being horse shit. My dog is going to be talking. Do you even know who Mr. Ed is, Ed? He doesn't know why me and Divchina are laughing so much. Yeah, like a horse is a horse, of course, of course. Of course, of course. You need to Google Mr. Ed after this, Ed. Mr. Ed is a talking horse, of course, from the... 50s, I think, black and white television. He said the heavens are opened. That's the most important thing, that once again, we can know. We know that God is there and that, and that he can answer our prayers just like he did Joseph. 
You know, that's the best bit of them all. <laughs> that you can talk to God directly. Because that's actually true. God answers prayers. Wow, we think he does. We can't be for sure. We can attribute things to him, but we don't really know it's God. Yeah, some of the answers are crap answers. They're not from God, but... Because God works in mysterious ways, isn't that right, Ed? Correct. Right. Yeah, and so some people do get answers. So yeah, uh, maybe Joseph did receive answers from God. Oh, uh, he received something. They were answers from his pants. What? <laughs> <laughs> and what confuses me, though, this makes it sound almost like there's a level playing field. Like Joseph Smith's prayers and our prayers, kind of level. Right. But what I hear more and more about when I'm interacting and learning about the Mormon church is there's some prayers that are higher prayers than other prayers. Like the prophet's prayers are like a more direct line to God. And then we on the bottom are the regular people's prayers and their prayers only matter if they align with everybody else above them. It's multi-level marketing, right? It's multi-level marketing. It has to go through everybody above to get to God. Uh-huh. And so I see kind of a contradiction here between what he's saying and what I've been learning. Yeah. In this Saints 1, Episode 3, Hear Me or whatever it's called, mm. they discuss revelation and they say Joseph Smith received revelation and his revelation is really important. And then they kind of hint that in Mormonism, everybody can get revelation, unlike the Methodists. But at the same time, the regular folks in Mormonism, the revelation that they can get from the Holy Ghost is only confirming that the revelation of the prophet is the true one. They even talk about that in this episode where they were talking about a bit that almost didn't make it into the book. But because of the review that they had of the book before it was released with the prophet and the 12 and all of that, they encouraged them to put that bit back in. And it was like they were getting prophetic confirmation about what should be in the book and what shouldn't be. So they obviously have a very high regard beyond their own intellect for what this Quorum of Twelve and the Prophet think. They talk about this whole divine revelation where you can talk to God directly as being such an amazing revolutionary thing of the Mormon Church. But the thing is, that idea is fundamental to Christianity in general. That was a whole bunch of Christ's rhetoric. You don't have to go through the Pharisees and whatnot. You got a direct line here with Jesus to talk to God. Great shit, yeah. This was all the things that I was taught. How's that song go? When the phone rings, just pick it up and receive. You can talk to Jesus on the royal telephone. God is calling. I don't know whether it's in all the Gospels, but it mentions the veil between the Holy of Holies and the Temple was rent when he died, which symbolically means that we now can access the Holy of Holies or God directly. It's absolutely pivotal to most Christian doctrine. So I don't know why they talk about this like it's so revolutionary. Great to meet you both. Yeah, thanks for helping me out today. I guess this is my new normal.